You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh God, in spite of our great reluctance to speak your word to this broken and dead world, we pray that you would create in us, in our hearts, something like a burning fire, and we are weary with holding it in, for we cannot, and that your word would go forth and accomplish that for which it's purposed, for the good of your people, but above all, for the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You'll find it helpful to look at Jeremiah chapter 20. I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles. If you have one of the Advent leather-bound Bibles, it's on page 648. Eight, because it's hard to understand what Jeremiah is praying. Indeed, this is a prayer that Jeremiah the prophet is speaking uh, to God who has sent him to speak a difficult word, rather difficult words, to the people of Judah. And we need to have a better understanding of what context Jeremiah is speaking in in order for us to better understand what God is saying to us today. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on Jeremiah, said that the last decade of the longest, darkest reign in Judah's history, two boys, Josiah and Jeremiah, were born who were to be God's gifts to a demoralized and damaged people. And so during the time of the ministry of Jeremiah, for the great bulk of it, Josiah was king, a great reforming king, who called the people of Judah back to faithfulness to God. His great-grandfather Hezekiah tried to do that by tearing down the altars and rediscovering the Bible, essentially, to be given to the people so that they might hear what God has to say directly to them. But then Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, began to undo everything that his father Hezekiah had done. And so by the time it gets to Josiah, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, Israel being the northern, was in a terrible state, financially and politically. But Josiah began the great reforms to return the people of Judah to faithfulness. And there was Jeremiah preaching the Word of God to the people, a word that many of them didn't want to hear. And although Josiah worked mightily to reform the political system to be in conformity with God would want for his people, Josiah destroyed the altars. He suppressed pagan worship. But after 30 years of reigning, very few attitudes had been changed only the opportunities to act them out. As soon as Josiah made a covenant with God, it was broken. In so many ways, other covenants that God made with His people were broken, whether that be in Jeremiah's day or whether that be at Sinai or maybe even today. And so the ministry of Jeremiah was a complicated one. He was weary of it. Most of the time, he didn't want to do it. And then when Josiah died, 
It meant that Jeremiah no longer had the political cover in his ministry. And Jeremiah would hit rock bottom as the famine of God's Word would continue in Judah, ultimately seeing its destruction and its exile. And so what does it mean for us today to be faithful in a world hostile to God's Word? Well, in Jeremiah's prayer, we see in the first instance, a little bit before his prayer actually, what the source of his persecution was. In chapter 20, verse 1, we read, Now Pasher, the priest, the son of Emma, who was the chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pasher beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. It was the religious establishment that was persecuting Jeremiah. This Pasher, a man who was set over God's people, the one who was to be a man of God for the people, above everyone else, one who was to be faithful to God and His Word. But when the Word of God is preached, Pasher seeks to suppress it. He goes so far as to pillory Jeremiah and then to th- in the stocks there in God's house. An active oppression to try to keep Jeremiah silent. And there are those in God's church today who would seek to keep God's word silent. You must not preach that, and I'm going to go out of my way in order to make sure that that doesn't happen. One of the most tragic stories that I've ever heard is to hear our dear brothers and sisters in Rwanda talk about clergy suppressing God's Word in order that the genocide of a million people might be perpetuated. And those who spoke out against it, very rarely were they tortured They were almost always tortured and killed. In Jeremiah's day and our day, it's nearly a given that if you're going to be faithful to God's Word and proclaim it, not just in deed, but in words, you're going to meet active oppression. Now, for many of us, It doesn't manifest itself in the way that it did in Jeremiah's day, but within the church we have passive resistance to the proclamation of God's Word and faithfulness to God's Word. word. And certainly as a preacher, I hear that. Andrew, why do you have to talk about this thing? Why can't you concentrate on the areas of the Bible in which we can all agree upon? Well, that's because we probably need to talk about the areas that we don't agree upon or where God actually needs to challenge us. And so even people who would claim faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ will passively resist God's Word, will avoid those parts of the Bible that we don't want to talk about, 
that are awkward. And the reason why they're awkward is because they are all too pertinent to what we're facing in the world in which we live. And so when we seek to be faithful and proclaim the whole counsel of God, it's not just our family, as Jesus mentions, that when you become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should expect conflict, not just with those who you would guess would not like you becoming a Christian, but even those within your own family. But it's not just our family who will be alienated by our faith, but others who claim the name Christian. The division is not simply around faith, because people will say, well, I'm really glad for you to be a Christian, but let it end at that. It's specifically a conflict and a division around fidelity to God and His Word. That's what Jeremiah says here in verses 8 and 9. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction for the Lord For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. Jeremiah says, when I actually preach, I invite derision. And even though I don't want to, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Well, why can't he? Why can't he just leave well enough alone? And it would be understandable for Jeremiah to say, like others in the Bible have said, you know what? I'm getting out of town. Good riddance to you people. I'm going to knock the dust off my sandals and just move on. If you don't want to hear it, then I'll just leave. But if the answer is to stay, to stay and be faithful to God's call on your life, what does that look like? Because I don't think that today... The answer is to stay and fight. I think the answer to the problems that face us in our society today, and even in the life of the church, I think the answer is to stay and serve. Isn't that the manifestation of our faith? The two great commandments that Jesus gave us to love God, and when we love God... His love is made manifest in our lives. He loves us, and we love Him in return. And as such, we have a changed heart that manifests itself in loving our neighbors, even as we love ourselves. I mean, this was Luther's response during the plague and during the peasant wars in Germany. He could have laid low. He could have left. But no, he stayed And even his wife, Catherine, putting her own life at risk in order to minister to people suffering from the plague. And Luther didn't just sit around and wring his hands. The ministry of the gospel continued. We can't be blind to what's going on outside of us today, what's going on in the world. And so there's a propensity amongst some very faithful Christians to say, well, we just need to ignore that and faithfully proclaim the gospel. 
But like those whose shoulders we stand upon, and even Jeremiah, we say, no, because God is speaking through circumstance. We surely have to keep an eye on that, and that's why we have to faithfully proclaim the gospel and to speak God's word into the situations that we're dealing with now. How does God speak to the plague? How does God speak to the economic inequality that led to the peasants' war? How does God speak to issues of race today? How does God speak to issues of human identity? How does God speak to the plague of COVID-19 today? And as 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21 says, we're not just to be sincere, but to actually love and care for one another. What does it look like for you to love your neighbor today? Now, of course, fighting may be necessary, but only insofar as it proclaims God's truth with the well-being of our neighbor considered. And we can do that because, as Jeremiah says in chapter 20, verse 11, but the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed, for their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. The Lord is a dread warrior. And so it's not an option for us to just say, well, like Jeremiah, I just want to quit. I just want to quit. So what is it that maybe you ought to be doing in the midst of all the uncertainty in our world? Knowing that the Lord is on our side and His call is for us to love Him because He first loved us and to love our neighbor as ourselves, what does it look like to minister the gospel? Well, the first thing I would say is that we need to not put all of our hope in the political structures of our culture and society. Votes don't change people's hearts. Jesus does. And I think that it's right for us to be critical of those who have worked much harder at trying to change our political structures, even for all the right reasons, at the expense of gospel ministry, whether that's alienating those who need to hear the gospel and now have had an impediment placed in front of them, or whether it's just... We've simply neglected it. And so in this time of uncertainty, maybe we ought not to put our trust in horses and chariots, but in the strong name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not work as hard on getting the right candidates elected as we do with discipling and evangelizing our children and our grandchildren. If you want to see a culture renewed, If you want to see the world changed, evangelize your child. Because at any given moment, the world is catechizing your children. And many Christians have said, well, I don't really want to talk about those issues with my children because they're too young. Well, guess what? The world's already having those conversations with them. And if you're not speaking with them about God's truth and God's word, they're going to hear from the world And the world is going to get the first word in their lives. Now, I'm not saying that we ought not to engage politically. God knows we need godly men and women elected to public office and to serve the common good. 
And we ought to be praying for them every single day. And we ought to be working for legislation that brings about justice and equality in our world. But our lives are a mist. And as Christians, our minds are set on eternity. And so it doesn't matter what the Supreme Court decides. It ultimately matters what God decides. And so our eyes are ultimately focused on Him. And so God's encouragement to us is to go on, to persevere. God and His revelation in the Lord Jesus Christ That is the defining principle of all of our relationships and our interaction in the world. Is Jesus Christ and God's revelation in his word, is that the bedrock of your life? Does that determine how you interact with this world? Does it determine how you do your job? Well, if not, the Bible would describe you as adulterous. Not that you're cheating on your spouse, but much worse, you're cheating on God. Because like Jeremiah, this is what we're going to encounter. But hear what the Apostle James says in chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't be friends with the world and with God. And that is particularly hard for us for those who live in the South. We've been able to have our cake and eat it too. But no more. It doesn't mean that we have no relationship with the world, but we do hold its influence at arm's length It's not the ultimate factor in our decision-making because now that we are in Christ, He determines that. The relationship that we have with Him determines all of our other relationships. And our relationship with the world is to introduce Jesus Christ to them that they might be reconciled to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that, hearts won't, and that hearts might be changed. It doesn't mean, again, that we don't strive for peace. But we know that a life in Jesus Christ is a life that may not necessarily be marked by peace. And if recent events have told me anything, It may be that the peaceful life that we've enjoyed may no longer be there. Peter writes about this in the first century. It's almost as if we've returned to the first century. Peter writes this in chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. He says, this is how I think you ought to live in the world. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to do the good and gentle, but also, not only to do good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And that's all of us. All of us as ministers, because that's what the word servants means. To do good and gentle, not just to the good, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. 
For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. As Christians, we live a life entrusted to God. You know, we feel and will feel that we are all alone. Back in chapter 15, Jeremiah said it. He said, I sat alone. I was the only one, and I lost friends. My friends were saying to me, hey, uh, denounce him, Ch- uh, verse 10. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. Say all my close friends watching for his fall. I don't even want to be associated with this guy. The people who were supposed to be closest to Jeremiah and encouraging him on were the ones who were saying, I don't even know him. And so there may be times where we sit alone. But remember, even though we're alone in this world, we're not alone spiritually. For our God is a dread warrior, and our life is hidden in Him. Back in chapter 15, Jeremiah said, let this, or God says to Jeremiah, let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you. The covenants have been broken. A nation has turned its back on God. And yet this burning of God's Word and Jeremiah's body goes forth. And Jeremiah knows in some sense that his mission may be futile. And so God gives him this word in chapter 31, beginning with the 31st verse. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What is Jeremiah talking about? Jeremiah is talking about the covenant made with us in the Lord Jesus Christ by His blood. 
When his people has turned, have turned their backs upon God, God sends his son into the world. Not that the world wanted to receive him, not that the world loved him, not that the world would even listen to him, but in order that the world might be saved and reconciled to God. In these trying times, brothers and sisters, we need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, everything that is going on around us is of significant concern to us. But the answer to the renewal of the individual heart and the renewal of our land is the Lord Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the gospel, both in loving God and loving our neighbor as a response to the work that Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And we can't stick our head in the sand. We have to go on. We have to be faithful. The Word of God, which is within us, is burning like fire, and we cannot hold it in. We're not alone in this. Not only is God on our side, but Jeremiah struggled with the same things we're struggling with. They just manifest themselves differently. The early church struggled with this. They just mani- sin manifests itself differently in their day. And certainly, our brother Martin Luther struggled with this. And so I want to conclude with really Martin Luther paraphrasing everything that I've just said in a more articulate and direct way. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man of God on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name, from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. That word, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.